you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. I'm kind of indicated by the prayer there. We are focusing on um, this part of the creed that the church is marked by four descriptors. One being a descriptor, not just one, but although that's true, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Don't worry, we're going to explain why Catholic is there. Um, I'm not going to give it away yet, so just be on the edge of your seat for the next 20 minutes. Um, These are the four marks of the church that the creed gives us, and so we're going to just have four kind of sermonettes that are describing, okay, what does this mean for the church, what does this mean for the church, and then we'll kind of tie it all in uh, at the end here. And just to point, the creed that we read up to this point has been all of these I believe statements. This is no exception. I believe in this one church, right? I believe. But, but up to this point, it's only been I believe statements about God. Who is the Father? Who is the Son? What, what has the Son done? Who is the Holy Spirit? And it's only with that initial context uh, of understanding who God is that we can begin, even, even try to describe who we are as the church. And the creed does just that. Here is who God the Father, Son, and Spirit is. Therefore, we believe in this church. Um, Father created all. Son, fully man, fully God, who came to earth to save through suffering and death. Raised to life and victory. Sent his spirit equal with Father and Son to apply the work of salvation. Speak to us through his word and sanctify us. So in response to that, we are the church. We are one church. We are a holy church. We are missionally Catholic, and we are built on the foundation of the apostles. So that little brief intro, I want to reread the Ephesians passage with that in mind. I want you to look for the oneness. I want you to look for what Catholic for now, global church, global citizenship. I want you to look for holiness in the description of the church. And I want you to look at what, what it says about the foundation of the apostles. Let's read it again. Ephesians 2. This is the word of the Lord. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, flesh and spirit, so making peace. It's all an individual reality, but here's what it means for us corporately as a church. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ, thereby killing, or through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on this foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into what a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. One church, let's start there. One church is describing the unity of the church. And, and I think whenever we use that term, I think what, what comes up maybe in my mind, maybe in your mind is, okay, well, we, like, if we're going to be unity, if we're going to be united, we shouldn't argue, we shouldn't disagree. Yeah, that's, there is this 
real, like, we, 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 we shouldn't argue because we love each other, but we certainly can disagree. So what makes us united? Well, Ephesians tells us the real, the unity being described here in one church is talking about the unity under one leader, one head, one king, Christ. One, one church, one body. We are the church. We are the body of Christ, one body with one head. So that means this morning and, and in the creed, we get to start with the gospel. Christ is God, as we've seen in the creed thus far. He is a member of the Trinity, a person of the Trinity. He, as God, lived, died, and rose for the sins of the individuals who make up the church. Many, if not all, of you in this room have, have experienced this reality. That's where Ephesians starts. He's reconciled us to himself through the work of Christ. But, but here's where I think, at least in the West, in America, um, I, kind of, I grew up kind of thinking this way too. That, um, okay, so I'm reconciled to Christ as the head, as God, as just this one little lone unit. And all the Christians in the world are just these little units that are reconciled to God. And we're all kind of like, you're reconciled to God, and I'm reconciled to God. But what Ephesians is telling us is that we're also reconciled to each other. We're reconciled to each other. Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ Jesus as the head of the body. So we get like we get this illustration, right? Like my hand needs my brain, needs my foot, needs my lungs, needs my heart. We are one body, one head, one church. And that's that's a global reality. It's not just a local reality, right? Like we get that because I think at Sojourn, at least in my experience, we are blessed with a community that is really well known for loving one another. Like, I've experienced that time and time again where we get unity because we're like, man, we, we just love each other here really, really well. Um, but then we start thinking about the global church, and you, you start thinking, well, like, there's so many different types of churches that don't necessarily agree with each other. They certainly don't always get along. There's Baptists and Presbyterians and non-denominationals and Methodists and Lutherans. And more than that, there are local expressions of these churches that don't necessarily get along with the same camps in other local geographic expressions. So, like, what is happening in the church if we aren't or if we're supposed to be one body, but it feels very fractured? Well, this is exactly why this portion of the creed is written. And it's exactly why we need this portion of the creed, because the, this portion of the creed and the whole creed up to this point is saying this is what it means to be one church. Everything else is secondary to this. Everything else is secondary. To, and don't get me wrong. A lot of a lot of times we'll say that's a secondary issue as if it's not important. The, the secondary issues are so important. It's God's word we're dealing with. But it's not most important. What's most important is that Christ is the head of this church. So the first true mark of the church of the four marks we, we deal with is, is one church under Christ. And as, the, as we go on and describe these, these marks, I think you'll see this is going to help us kind of discern globally and in our own individual lives. What is a true church of, of God? What is a true Christian church and what is not? First mark, it's a church under Christ. Um, 
which means belief in and submission to Christ is necessary to be part of that one church as an individual, but it's a reality that marks us globally as one church. Two, holy church. We're going to move fast because, again, four sermons. Um, Holy church. We are the holy church, right? Holy in this context means righteous, set apart, not sinful, not unrighteous, not stained by sin. We are holy church. And again, this is flowing out of the triune reality of the creed thus far, right? God is Father, Son, and Spirit, all sinless, all God, all righteous, all set apart. And so the church is told we are holy. We are reflecting God's holiness in that we, the bride of Christ, the church, the new temple, are holy, flowing out of who God is. And there's, there's a tension here, right? Just like there's a tension in, okay, if we're one, why are there different expressions? Well, if we're holy, why is the church so dang sinful? Why is it so sin- – like you can – you just go on Twitter or go on even the Houston Chronicle and you will find story after story of – appalling sin in our church in our global church how do we reconcile this god has said his church is holy he said here in these verses we are being made into the holy temple of god god refuses to sit on a seat that's stained with sin yet we see and experience the sinfulness that's quite loud isn't it oh it's playing on this bluetooth speaker they're on the wrong one I thought the Spirit was saying something to us right now. It's like the Holy Spirit is talking. Everybody be quiet. Beautiful. So there's a Bluetooth speaker upstairs and one down here. Okay. It's like right now I'm talking about the most the sinful church. <laughs> the Lord was like, levity, read, levity. Um... <laughs> How do, we, how do we reconcile this, right? Like the, this, the, we see sin being exposed in the church all the time, and yet the Lord has said the church will be holy. Well, well, verse 22 continues, In him, the Lord, in the Lord, you are being built together to be a dwelling place of God. Being built, being the primary word we need to focus on. The church, in her righteousness, is a work in progress. Right? We haven't arrived at this glorious, perfected, pure, holy dwelling place for God. And yet he has said, that is mine, that is my bride, and I will build her by my spirit into a glorious dwelling place. And so I think, I think there's a lot to be mourned, obviously. When, when sin is exposed in the global church, we should mourn it. We should say that's not how it's supposed to be. We should, we should pray for justice against sin in the church. And at the same time, I think we should I think we should worship with joy and gratitude because we we are under the headship of a God who is unwilling to allow sin to not be exposed in his bride. He's shining light into the darkness. And so every time we see sin exposed, we should say, oh, I mourn that. That's just not how it's supposed to be. And at the same time, Lord, thank you for exposing it. I think we get this individually, right? We get this tension individually, like because of Christ's work on the cross, saving you and me from your sin and my sin, we in this room who believe and submit our, our, ourselves to Christ, we are seen and, and named as holy and blameless saints. And yet, if you're like me, you've sinned this morning multiple times. 
So, am I sinful or am I holy? The answer is yes. Right now, yes. But, but Ephesians tells us he's, he's reconciling us to ourselves. Flesh, sinful flesh and holy flesh are being reconciled. So we're feeling it. We're feeling the tension. The church is holy. Purchased by Jesus himself. And we're being made holy. Two realities. Third, the church is Catholic. And I'm the Pope. <laughs> kidding. Uh, that's not what that means. At some point in history, the word Catholic became synonymous with Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic is a descriptor of a specific sect of Christianity. But Catholic is just a word that means global or universal. And here's why that's different than one, right? Because that seems similar, like one, united under Christ, global, universal, united. Well, well the difference is in, in a question, who is the gospel of Jesus for? Who is the gospel of Jesus for? Who is the one church for? Who is the holy church for? Is it for the people of Israel, the Jewish people? Or is it just for America? Or is it for the intellectual? Is it for the simple? Is it for the rich? Is it for the poor? Well, the answer is no. The Holy Church of God with Christ as its head is for everyone. The Holy Church of God is for the world entire. It's available for everyone. Entrance into the church is available to everyone. Jesus says in Matthew 28, therefore make disciples of who? All nations. Paul says later, there is neither Jew nor Greek. And he uses Greek or Gentile there to mean everybody who's not Jewish. Which once you've got everybody who is Jewish and everybody who's not Jewish, you've got everybody. The gospel is for everybody. And, and Ephesians 19 tells us this. The, the Ephesians 2 verse 19 we are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are citizens with the saints of the earth. And so there's, there's a unity reality of this, that we are citizens with our brothers and sisters in Africa, in Russia, in China, in the Middle East, in South America, in Texas, in Cleveland. That's true. We're united with them under Christ and also, there's a, there's a Catholic sense of our mission. Who do we bring this gospel to? Everyone. The nations are offered Christ. We have all been invited into the spreading of the global church of God, holy and united under Christ. And it will reach and is reaching all the nations. So that's what Catholic is referring to there. Fourth and finally, the apostolic church. Um, this is a one that's kind of like, yeah, I think I know what that means. Maybe I don't. Um, this is a description where, where the other three are kind of marks of what the, who makes up the church or what the church is being built into. This is, a, this is a mark of how God has chosen to build his church. Verse 20, the church is built on this foundation, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, right? The cornerstone in any building project using stone is the most important stone without whom the whole building will not stand so it's an integral part and yet jesus himself has said and i will choose to through my spirit work through these men here to build this foundation right this is 
This is what Jesus was getting at when he told Matthew or when he told Peter in Matthew 16, he said, this is how I will build my church on this rock, on this foundation, on the apostles. I will build my church and through the apostles is how we get from Jesus as at his resurrection, giving the great commission to this moment right now where I'm preaching to you. The spirit worked through and spoke through the apostles of the New Testament to build the church. It's a they, they guard doctrine. They give us liturgy. They give us instructions on church planting, what a church should look like. That's all the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And we believe this is the word of God because they refer to each other as God's word in the New Testament. So they're saying, yeah, that letter that Paul wrote to Corinthians, that's the word of God. And this letter that I'm writing to you is the very word of God. Because Jesus said, through you, I will build my church. Jesus says, there are these guys. This is the foundation I'll use. He says, I'm the cornerstone, the most important block. And now very briefly, there are um, a few things that we get from apostles, from the apostles. I'm not going to go into these specifically, but, but here are six realities from the apostolic church. They are this. First, the apostles preach the gospel of Christ. They preach the gospel. So we're united to them. Through the preaching of the gospel. So that's why we, true churches, preach the gospel. Two, they give their testimony and witness of Christ. They are martyred and killed because of it. So these are people who have witnessed Christ preaching, teaching, earthly ministry. And then in the Roman Empire, they are murdered, martyred and by being murdered for the sake of their belief. Three. We receive their teaching as teaching from the Holy Spirit, and we don't add to it, right? The revelation ends with, cursed are those who add to this book. Four, we have fellowship with them and all believers of history as we pray to the very same God that they prayed to, and we share in the table that they established through Christ's establishment. So we have unity with them. Five, we follow them in the charge to care for the poor and the oppressed. So the apostles emphasize Christ's teaching on the blending of faith and care, faith and action, right? Faith needs action, action needs faith. And finally, the spirit through the apostles creates the assembly of God's people, public prayer, worship, thanksgiving, preaching of the word, and the apostles' liturgy. So... The reason we do what we do on Sunday and join with thousands, hundreds of thousands of churches in gathering on Sunday to worship, to pray, to hear the word is because of the apostolic foundation of the church. Therefore, the church is apostolic. It's describing why we do what we do, why we teach what we teach, how we pray, how we observe the sacraments and why we believe in the Bible. So there you have it. One holy Catholic and apostolic church. I would argue, and the Nicene Creed argues, I think, that without these four marks, a church is not a church of Christ. It's not a Christian church. Now, please hear me. There are a lot of ways to express these four things. There's a lot of room in the church of Christ for different expressions of this. Formal church, informal church, orthodox, evangelical, they all can express these four marks faithfully. 
But if a church calls itself a Christian church but doesn't believe that Christ is the head of this one united church, then the church is not a Christian church. If they don't believe in Christ as the head, they fail the test. If the church calls itself a church but it doesn't believe we're called to holiness, to grow in holiness through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, then they are not a Christian church. If the church... uh, doesn't believe that the gospel is for the world, for the nations, if it's exclusive to some certain group, then it's not the church. It's not Christ's church. And if they reject the apostles as Christ's foundation, they reject the New Testament or add to it, then it's not Christ's church. And I think even with those four marks that seem kind of like, wow, we've put a lot of barriers to entry, you will find... A narrow doorway through Christ into a wide array of faithful expressions of this. But that's why one church, starting with the gospel, is so important because it's through Christ that we enter. Now, I was also given the phrase this week, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. So I'll take 30 more minutes and work through the. I'm kidding. Uh, there's a lot with. In regards to baptism, but the beauty is this phrase is a joining phrase for this week and next week. Next week, we talk about the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So baptism here is meant to join those two ideas. So baptism points to our entry into this one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And baptism foreshadows that resurrection from the dead and the life of the world to come. It's this beautiful link in the Nicene Creed that's written as such. And so here's all I'll say about baptism this morning. Baptism is the sign of entrance into this one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And there are variations on where and how this is practiced and observed, whether it's infants or adults or you name it. But they're all signaling the same thing, entrance into the church, a sign that appeals to God's work in saving someone into his church. We don't believe that baptism saves. Instead, baptism is a sacrament, a holy sign of the covenant of Christ that washes away sin. And by, by it washes away sin, I mean that it points to the atonement of Christ who died to remit our sins. That's why we believe in one baptism for the remission of sins. One baptism that appeals to Christ's work to remit our sins. The second sacrament We'll practice in just a moment. Communion or the Lord's Supper. It doesn't mark our entrance into covenant community like baptism does. Instead, it's a covenant renewal sign. Does that distinction make sense? So once you've entered into the church through signaling with baptism, a sign of baptism, at the table, that's being renewed weekly in our case because we need it. And so... I hope you feel confidence in the growing, united stronghold of the church of God this morning. I think we should mourn, like I said, when injustice or evil in sin are exposed in the church. But we should also celebrate in gratitude what the Lord is doing and making and building his church. You are part of a global and historic church that is united under the king on a throne. You're a part of a church community that's committed to growing in holiness, brought by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is doing this in his church global. You're part of the Catholic mission. The good news is available to all those who would hear, regardless of nation, tribe, tongue. 
And you are part of a church founded on the foundation of the apostles, Christ himself, the cornerstone, the most integral part of that foundation, who God has appeared to and spoke through to bring us to this moment. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for your work in building this church that we find ourselves a part of 2,000 years, the most, the biggest, most diverse religious movement in the history of history. We are a part of through what can feel like a narrow door with four distinct marks and certainly a narrow door of belief in Christ has exploded into a global movement of diversity and love and appeal to the king on the throne. It gives me confidence, Lord. I confess that often I worry about the future of the church global as if you are not the one sustaining and building it. As if I need to do something to do to save your bride, your dwelling place. What a relief it is to know that you are on the throne, leading your church, purifying your church, reaching the lost of the world. Speaking to us through your word that you've revealed yourself to us, man. What a safety it is to be there. Lord, we love you. We trust you. Would you build us into a community that reflects your triune being, your Father, Son, and Spirit, your, who you are to the world, healing for the nations. We pray this in your name. Amen.